Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today, I am delighted to have Juan Santos as my guest. Juan is Senior Vice President of Brand Experience and Innovation at Tavistock Development, where he leads the marketing, public relations, and resident activation disciplines. At Tavistock, he is part of a multidisciplinary team that uses design thinking to build places where people can thrive. With more than 20 years of experience creating experiences that connect people and brands through technology, he has been involved in many industry milestones, including the first worldwide webcast for Earth Day and the first digital consumer electronics catalog for Toshiba USA. Juan is a recognized expert in smart cities, design thinking, user-generated content, virtual worlds, physical and digital and loyalty and rewards. Juan and I share a belief that science and technology are essential for mankind. If we look around our homes, offices, and public spaces, there is not a single device that works just because. Everything around us that is man-made was at one point a science project led by a physicist, chemist, or some other type of scientist who was working strictly for the purpose of understanding something complex. We believe that when scientists are allowed to do science, they come up with discoveries that can have dramatic positive impact in human life. It may be decades before these discoveries become viable in the marketplace, but that is well worth it. At least here in the United States, It is our grandparents' and great-grandparents' tax dollars that funded the science experiments that are the foundation of every gadget, medical instrument, or appliance that we mindlessly use today. Yes, without the science, nothing works and nothing gets built. One and I believe that societies could benefit from understanding how technology helps us live our daily lives. This episode will be the first of a series focused on the origins of the technology that permeates our daily lives today. Some of the technology comes from the space program, and some comes from other industries and government programs. We truly hope you enjoy this series. And now, without further ado, Juan Santos. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today, I am delighted to have my friend Juan Santos in the show. Juan, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Rafa. Thank you. I am very excited about this series. This is something that I have been thinking about for quite some time. I've uh, been living here in Florida for almost 33, 34 years. And one of the things that I have been fascinated over the over that timeline is the impact of the space program in mankind. However, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion, I think NASA could do a better job at sharing what the space program has done for humanity and more specifically how the space program since its inception has changed our day-to-day lives. So this series with Juan here, who is a technology that I admire, is specifically dedicated to talk about three things on every episode that came about from the space program and that today 
permeates our everyday lives. So before we get started, Juan, if you want to give the audience a little bit about you, and um, then we'll get started. Cool. So my name, like you said, is uh, Juan Santos. Uh, today I work as the head of innovation and brand experience for Tavistock Development, which is the the companies that, that is behind places like Linona and Sunbridge. But uh, before that, I was in the digital uh, agency space, and I've always been uh, a tinker, and I've always been fascinated with technology. So it's it's an area where you know I've really put a lot of uh, thought, and I, I think it is it is that that thrill of finding what's new and what's new technologies that really drive um, a lot of what I try to do, both professionally and personally. I I, I, I think I'm I'm still amazed at, uh, at you know how. Uh, the ingenuity of, of, of men <laughs> and how we come up with cool ideas and, and solve all kinds of challenges through the use of uh, our knowledge and perseverance. Well, thank you. I am fascinated by all the trinkets and things that you have. And it seems like every day you come up with <laughs> something new that can be used for something, whether it's music, video, audio, whatever, AI. So this is a very exciting conversation. So let's get started. Uh, what is what do you have in mind as the first idea, the first thing uh, that we're going to tackle uh, on this podcast? Okay, so first, there's a lot of things that are actually attributed to NASA or and to spaceflight that are not that were not created by that. I mean, every time people say, "Oh, um, you know, spaceflight and the Apollo program and whatnot," people talk about Tang, the the drink, and Teflon. Which was created by Dupont, and then um, and and then things like Velcro was was it was actually created by a Swiss engineer. I think they were popularized by NASA. I mean, Tang or the orange drink was uh, you know was actually used in space, and same for a lot of those technologies. But they were not actually uh, invented uh, invented by NASA. I think where we what we see is we see a lot of deep technology that comes out of the space program. That actually changes our daily lives, and, and that is why I think the the idea of of having a better conversation and having NASA and other agencies do a better conversation about how they impact it's a little bit harder because it's not like a core single technology, but there are a few things that are that are ever present. Uh, I think we'll start we'll start with a simple one, which is uh, temper foam, right? Uh, temper foam, um, you know the what what you have probably in your mattress or in your shoes, uh, it's probably inside the the seat of your bike if you're biking or all of those things. It was actually created uh, by NASA's uh, aeronautical research group trying to figure out a safer way to do crash-proof seats, both for for traditional air, airliners and then for the um, for the uh, you know for the spaceflight program. So that so they created this this viscoelastic um, foam that that it was great at absorbing shock that kept its shape um, and you know it's seen it's seen used in a variety of different things I mean it's used in medical devices it's used in uh, you know if you if you look at if you look if you like horse racing and horse riding there's a lot of temper uh, foam they are protecting both the rider and the horse. Um, and I think you know we a lot of a lot of people, me included, we wake up uh, in uh, in this viscoelastic form, uh, you know, beds 
that that you know really feel like a very different material and it's one of those examples of so far of a man-made material that has a myriad of uses and it's and it's all over. Not not a huge uh, technology piece like some of the other things that we'll talk about. But I think it's one where you know you you get a restful night's sleep and you liked it from your from your viscoelastic foam or temper. They, they call it temper, like a T E M P E R foam. And then of course people have licenses as you know temper pedic and all of those different brand names. So that's that's a simple one, and that's squarely the product of of uh, space exploration. Oh, that's actually interesting. I did not know that. I I have seen a dramatic change in my lifetime on all these mattresses. Mm-hmm. I remember a time where every mattress I could lay down on was spring based, right? And that seemed to be the case for quite some time. Then became some of them that were hybrid with different types of springs, mm-hmm. individual springs. But now, like you said, you can order a mattress and it shows up in your door rolled up mm-hmm. in a in a rectangular tube-like packaging. And it is that tempered type foam that in itself has evolved over the years. But yeah. as you're saying, had its birth in NASA and it's pretty much everywhere. Car seats, bicycle seats, like you say. The shoe, a lot of shoes, yep. like you say, have them. It, you, any one of you in the audience right now listening could probably look around your home and find something that is using that type of foam and and realize what kind of role that plays in your life. Yeah, and look, I mean, that's why I, I probably picked it as the, as the first one because you you you've you've seen it and and it's and it's all around us and i think those are the ones that fascinate me the most you know um you could say that some of the most important things that nasa has brought are very different like for example sophisticated water filtration was created for the space program i mean you you had filtration already systems in the in you know we've had traditional water filtrations using clay for a long period of time, we've had people try different things in the 50s to make that better. But it was only through because of the need of having a finite, very small amount of water in space that needed to be recycled and reused and, fil- and, and filtered to create drink, drinking water that we have the, the what they call activated carbon or charcoal filters. That, that idea of making, uh, of making charcoal microporous so that you could actually do significant filtering through it, as well as using silver ions for for water purification. All, all of that is is product of a long term research that NASA has devoted, that NASA has devoted in in in, um, in creating these mechanisms for filtering water. But it's it's not one invention, right? It's a it's a series of inventions that you know have significant advantages. They you know they invented for osmosis. Not reverse, but forward osmosis, water membranes, tons of things that have made uh, uh, water management better. Um, and even if it was not a NASA invention, uh, things like using iodine uh, to, purif- to purify water, which is actually significantly more more effective than chlorine, and has because you have to use a, a, a significantly significantly lower amount. Um, the technology was invented before, but it was not made available until NASA co-opted it. So I, I would say water filtration and purification is kind of like if, if we're looking for impact, that's one that's very large, right? 
but Tempur-Pedic foam, it's around everywhere, <laughs> everywhere in your house. Yeah. That's correct. But even, even then, I know, for example, my, my daughter has one of those water uh, filter pitchers, right? And when you open that up, mm -hmm. when you look at the filtering element, if you will, there is a porous charcoal replaceable mm -hmm. cartridge that you use, you know, after so many uses, you got to dispose of it and then replace it. That technology, I don't think people realize the, the importance of that and how engineers that are trying to support the space program, you kind of see that thanks to movies like Apollo 13, yep. you have a problem and now you have these great minds trying to make an air, air filter out of whatever is available in the capsule, right? Uh, so that the astronauts could could survive. Well, that happens also in the ground as they're trying to develop technology, sometimes using existing things, sometimes just making a more advanced implementation of something that already exists, which is exactly what you're referring to here with water filtration. Is how do we how do we go about not not having to carry heavy amounts of water into space, number one. And number two, how do we reuse the water that's already there yep. to be able to, to maintain that? And so this is it's important. I, don't, I would argue that, yeah, maybe it's not as prevalent as the foam example, but it's still prevalent enough. Refrigerators yep. today come with a filter. And if you take that filter apart, you will find uh, some sort of version of that technology that was developed to keep the astronauts uh, hydrated in space. Yeah, and if you, I think, look at it collectively, because it's been not a single technology. I mean, activated, you know, the 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 microporous charcoal uh, compounds that were created are part of it. But they they looked at you know, the, like I mentioned, you know, silver uh, using silver for water purification. They created a mechanism for doing forward osmosis, which is a different kind of filtering, which is used commercially at large scale. Um, they had, you know, uh, technologies that use different kinds of mechanisms to, to purify even severely contaminated water. Um, and I think the collective use of those technologies and, and how they've been brought to the table, that's, that has probably a, a much larger impact uh, to mankind than, than, than the temper foam, even though a good night's sleep, you know, it's, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great advancement, uh, but but you know I think that's a little bit more meaningful. Oh, that's excellent. Um, I have a, I have my third. Um, Go ahead. But 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 I have runner ups, so I'll tell you what the runner ups are <laughs> beforehand. Um, I didn't know this uh, actually when I was when I was like making sure that I had uh, that I was you know telling the truth. For this conversation, I, 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 I went online and looked at uh, a few things. There's actually a great website from NASA, which is called spinoff.nasa.gov. Um, and it, it actually has a list of thousands of things that uh, have been brought through space exploration. Uh, a lot of them very technical, very specific. Uh, but, you know, just want to make sure that we were, you know, 100% there. And I found out that things like the dimpling of golf balls, right? The actual patterning to make golf balls have significant flight uh, characteristics was actually uh, created uh, as a way to reduce drag. 
in uh, the tanks of a few of the of the uh, of the space vehicles. Um, so you know we have there's there's that and you know there were uh, other pieces that were interesting. However, the one that I think is at least in my opinion, the most prevalent technology that we owe to NASA, I can guarantee you it's in the pocket of 99.9% of people. And, and that is the camera that is in our cell phone, right? So, so the CMOS image sensor, the uh, complementary metal oxide semiconductor um, sensor, was invented um, in NASA by, by an engineering team uh, as a way to create a very small imager that would require very little power so that it could be easily transportable. Uh, you know, uh, digital cameras and digital digital sensors have been around for a while. The most common one at that time, and still it's used in certain uses today, is CCDs, um, which are very good. They're very, they, I mean, they're precise, and but they require a ton of power. Uh, and because they required a ton of power, they were bulky. I don't know if you remember the video cameras, you know, that 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 had the tape inside, you know, like, you know, you, humongous cameras. And then digital cameras were super bulky. And now we have cameras that have incredible resolution, you know, right here in the phone. It's it's just incredible. And and that was that was 100% produced uh, inside inside NASA. It's, it's actually probably the most ubiquitous technology um, from NASA. And it's used for a variety of things. It's used for medical imaging. It's used for many things. But, but I, I, that's one NASA technology that I guess every single person uh, has, has used is, you know, the tiny, ultra-high quality cameras that we carry around us. Uh, and you know that have skyrocketed the amount of content that we produce because it's not just it's not just uh, the cameras for pictures, it's uh, the cameras for video. As a matter of fact, uh, the guy that uh, was the founder of GoPro was an uh, intern <laughs> with that team, with that team. The the guy oh, that did that it right? was yeah 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 it was uh, the engineer that did it was a guy called uh, Eric Foss, Fossum, but uh, the 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 creator of GoPro was an intern in that team. And that's actually how I, I, I knew about the, the story, was reading a little bit about where the guy had come from. And it was, you know, he was part of that very important, uh, very important team that was trying to be, build better imaging. So, I don't know. I think that one's curious, but it's, it's also the most widely used space-derived technology. <laughs> Absolutely. And when people think of cameras... People think of, like you said, content generation, which, of course, you know, it is important uh, depending on the content. But this this idea of having smartphones with high quality cameras, in many ways, serves society. Oh yeah, we we today have people that document whether it's robberies or or, or you know whatever whatever it may be a social you know, social problems with their phones. Yes, some people take it to the extreme and, and, and do all kinds of things that shouldn't be done. But the idea that with something that is in your pocket, just a piece of plastic, glass, and metal, that you can capture those that level of resolution or in the other in the other cases, to be able to connect people from across the world in a video call. Now can you imagine COVID? 
and how the pandemic would have been if we didn't have access to, you know, video conferencing. Uh, and, you know, the, the camera in your laptop, the camera in your, it's a CMOS camera. It's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, no, it, it certainly serves. It certainly serves the population in a way that the population normally takes for granted. And that, I, I would say that was a very good use of tax dollars. It was a very good use of our, of our tax money in the, in the space program. Now, I have one that I think is fascinating, and I think we probably need to make a divide here because there is, there is specific stuff that has come as a result of this space program in itself. This is budgeted money that comes from the federal government and that lands mm -hmm. in, the, in the budget of NASA, and then NASA uses that to support the various missions, whether it's you know, for rockets or the now-defunct space shuttle or the International Space Station. But there's also another parallel world, which is the world of astrophysicists, physicists, scientists. And that is also a world that, that, that gets a lot of criticism by the everyday person. I find myself defending that world. Why are we looking at mm -hmm. space? Why do we have these very expensive radio telescopes? Why do we have Hubble? Mm -hmm. Right or or James Webb uh, or any of these other magnificent machines floating around in space observing the universe. So it turns out that some number of years ago, and, and I'll I'll look it up so that I can put it on the notes on the podcast. There was an astrophysicist who wanted to understand the composition of nebula some distance away from, from Earth. And in order to do that, he came up with a process where he basically developed a way to see how the different gases were interacting with each other as a result of the magnetic fields that surrounded, that are inherent around these nebulas and around basically every star and every, every star system. And the process was very successful. He was able to, through that magnetic resonance, if you will, was able to break apart the various compounds because everything had a, its own independent signature that maps out to a, an element in the periodic table. Some years later, uh, someone with medical background bumped into that study and figured out, with the help of some very smart people, that if you can do that for a nebula X number of light years away from us, you can also do that internally in the body. And then there is the birth of the MRI machine, the magnetic resonance imager, which still to this day is the most effective way to look at the body without opening it up. Now, I don't think anyone can argue the value of having an MRI machine available to study the human body, but that is exactly yep. an example of a scientist studying the heavens, if you will, for the purpose of studying the heavens, for the purpose of understanding what's out there. And then that work mm -hmm. gets then mapped out some years later, probably decades later, into something that has become a cornerstone, a pillar in 
prevention of disease and saving people's lives as a result of uh, of catching things earlier because now you you can use this type of technology to observe the body and what it's doing without having to open it up so though it is those kinds of things that that in addition to the of course the ones that you've that you've mentioned that excite me and which is why I promote science we need to continue to promote science we need to keep children all over the world interested in in having that curious mind and if they end up working with NASA then perfect great you know then that's a plus but that is one that is very fascinating to me what what are your thoughts yeah no actually i think that the biggest impact of the space program is uh, in inspiration you know i think that is at least in my life and in the life of a lot of people that i know i think that is the biggest impact right and that's not just for for nasa and for space flight but you know in science in general is this this idea that as a as a group as a civilization we are allowed to do incredible things. The the motto for the uh, Jet Proportion Lab, which is part of NASA, is uh, Dare Mighty Things, which is part of a speech by Theodore Roosevelt, right? And it was this idea that we should dare mighty things. We should thrive and, and seize the day and, you know, make it to the fullest. And, and you know, actually uh, the parachute of the NASA Perseverance rover that landed on Mars, it has a weird pattern. And, you know, you put, you put a picture in the internet and someone will figure it out pretty quickly. Um, so cryptographers around the world figured out that it was binary for, for that, for, for their mighty things. And, and I think, you know, that's probably, you know, at least personally, but I also think in, a, in the lives of a lot of people, that, that idea of reaching for the stars and of overcoming the challenges that are incredibly difficult to to put, you know, to put robots or humans in in the most unforgiving of environments, which is space. They have really moved us as a as a society forward, and and w- in ways that people don't even don't even imagine. You know, the one of the most impactful images uh, ever created was the uh, the it's called Blue Marble, and it was the first picture of the Earth, right, as, as a single disk, and it was captured in the uh, Apollo 17 mission, right? So Apollo 17 captured one picture. And, and even, I mean, it's, it's even been touted as something that's, that has sparked the environmental movement, right? It's, it's been said that this is one of those things that really catalyzed the idea that, look, there's no lines, you know, there's no country lines, and there's no lines in our, in our air, there's no lines in our water, you know, whatever a country is doing in one end is affecting the the other and even even something as seemingly simple as, a, as an image like this this incredible incredible marble uh photograph has you know inspired millions of people in understanding that we are that we are a you know holistic organism that that interfaces with you know the earth that we live in and it gave us the first view of that in a, in a way that was also very beautiful and very shareable, and I think has impacted people that normally wouldn't be the ones that are impacted by the crazy parachute with the you know zeros and ones that could be decoded to mean their mighty things, but but you know 
the every one of us that is uh, interested and and invested in you know living a better life. Oh, I like that a lot. I, that is one of my favorite images. And yes, I I I have read as well that it, uh, it did inspire, and it's being credited uh, for the, the yeah. environmental movement. Where someone once said, when looking at that photograph, everyone you've read about, everyone you know, everyone you've heard of, lived right there in that little marble in the middle of yeah. nothingness in the middle of complete dark mm -hmm. space. And I, I agree with you. I think that inspiration is key. And I, I tend to be a little bullish about this. And, and, and I, I get criticized by, by sometimes by people that are close to me because of how much my passion for, for science. I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm a student of science. But it is because it gives me that sense of awe whether I'm studying, you know, the science of the heavens yep. or studying animals that are here on earth and how they behave or plants or, for example, the mycelium, right? All of that is, is very humbling to see how these things work. It is also very humbling to see how scientists who dedicated their lives to just study for the sake of studying, knowing that everything that they were doing at the time probably wasn't going to be useful at all to anyone in their lifetime. But many, many decades, decades later on, a lot of the stuff that Einstein put together became tangible and real 70, 80, 90, 100 years after he put it together. And today we seem to have this this idea that whatever we study or research, any research and development has to have immediate impact. That's not how we've gotten to this point. The United States in particular was a country that invested a lot of money, whether it was through NASA or through DARPA or through any of the other mechanisms that invested a lot of taxpayers' money where the benefit was way deferred into the future to us. To, you know, the cell phone technology, the GPS technology, all these separate things were done in an environment where it was either they were trying to solve a problem, which is typically the case when it's, when it's government funds, or if it's university funding, they're typically trying to study very difficult things to understand them. And those outcomes do not materialize into commercial products until a lot farther away in the future. And I think we need to motivate people to study just to be in mm -hmm. awe of the beauty of science and the beauty of what's happening around us, the universe uh, outside of Earth, the universe inside of Earth. And because at some point, it will have an impact on day-to-day -day lives, just like the foam, just like the camera, and just like all the other things that we're going to be talking about in the future on this podcast. So what are your thoughts on that? No, look, I I, uh, I I completely agree. I, it's it's an interesting thing that the work of the scientist is sometimes uh, disassociated from the impact that it has. Right? There are, I mean, there was very complicated work being done in, I mean, pick a subject, you know, 
you know, telecommunications or, you know, someone was coming up with a mathematical algorithm to uh, understand, uh, to understand uh, frequencies of sound or frequencies of any, of any, of any wave in, in, a, in a different way. And, you know, you develop this complex mathematical transformations that, you know, if you look at it, the, uh, the ability to actually use that mathematical transformation in a meaningful way later on uh, required computers and, and compute power that was not available, but it's what allows us today to have a clear conversation when we talk on the phone, or it's the thing that actually keeps our, our noise-canceling headphones working, or more importantly, is what allows, what allows a medical imaging device to actually zero in in the types of, of tissues that is trying to that is trying to find when they're trying to locate something that is malignant inside the body, the body. And no one in in that in the general population, I mean, unless you're like a engineer or a mathematician or something like that, you know, is aware that you know that transformation, the 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 Fourier transformation, moving from you know you know changing from the frequency domain into a into a two dimensional axis domain. You know, had these weird uses. It's equalizing the voice of this podcast as we speak, uh, and it was not created for that purpose, right? It was, uh, I think, a mathematical exercise, right? Uh, kind of like a mathematical. I, I don't know the story of it. I'll, I'll research it, but you know, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's hundreds of, of, if not thousands, of pieces of math and science that today are thought to be theoretical, right, that will actually have a solid impact in the way that we, that we live and that we solve, you know, problems in the future uh, as, you know, as we evolve as a, as a civilization. Well, this, is, this has been excellent, Juan. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I look forward to getting from you some of those references so that we can add them to the, to the text portion of this podcast so people can look them up. I'll add mine as well. And I look forward to having another conversation here in the near future about three more things that space exploration has, has given us that impact our day-to-day lives. Awesome. Thank you, Rafa. 